everybody. It's DJ Crystal Clear here, and I'm back! <laughs> I'm back. It's been a month. It's been about a month. My last episode, episode 5, was posted on June 7th, a couple of days after my birthday. And then June was just the craziest month ever. I was in a lot of shows, which was nice, which meant I had a lot of rehearsals all the time. I haven't been working for the last three weeks, which sucks. But, uh, and that's my modeling job I'm talking about. Because um, it's summer and there are hardly any classes and yada, yada, yada. So, anyway, um, I'm back here at the world-famous As It Should Be Studios with my engineer, Dr. Paul Bertolino. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's hot as balls here in Crooklyn. It yeah, you just, know how hot balls are. You know how hot balls can get. Everybody knows. You don't have to own a pair to know how hot they can get. Uh, it just thunderstormed here. Did it thunder or just poured? It was, uh, it was a cloudburst, man. Cloudburst. <laughs> and uh, luckily, by the time I got out of the train, it had stopped raining, so I'm very happy about that. Uh, so, yeah, I had a lot of shit going on, and I'm still recovering from surgery, uh, which is still weird. But um, I'm doing better. I want to say that I'm 70% back, but that's a lie. I'm probably, like, 55% back. Uh, if you ever had your gallbladder removed, you know what I'm talking about. So, all of that said, it made me tardy, although I don't feel tardy, which takes me to our first song of this episode, which is Hot for Teacher. <laughs> and it's very apropos because the F-bomb show we just did was Van Halen. Wait a minute. What? Somebody covered Hot for Teacher? Yes. Somebody covered Hot for Teacher. <laughs> well, I'm just going to bet right off the bat that whoever it is, they suck. Well, uh, mm, well, all right. No, so, any some ironic 90s band or No, shit? no. Actually, it's a band that literally just formed maybe about an hour before I got here. I don't even know how this popped up on my radar. I think it's, I don't, I don't know. I guess some divine intervention. Black Baby Jesus made it happen. So, uh, Van Halen recorded it in 1984 from their seminal album, 1984, which everybody knows. And, um, the band who covered it they're called The Bird and the Bee do you know about these people? Uh, yeah I've heard of them and uh, have they been around for a while? Uh, you know they've been hipstering around for you know about 10 years really? okay this is news or to something me. like that I mean I may be getting the exact number of years wrong but that's that's definitely not a this in the past 6 months name oh really? oh yeah. alright because how they popped up in my I don't even know how see that's another thing I'm still dealing with brain fog um so anyway, they popped up in my periphery. I looked it up, and they covered it with Beck, featuring Beck. So, you know, the original... I, do I have to explain it to anybody? Should, do I, <laughs> I mean, everybody knows this song, right? You've heard it. You've seen the fucking video. If you're over 40, you definitely know what I'm talking about. If you're under 40... Well, you're shit no. out of luck, I guess. <laughs> you're, you're beyond help anyway. You're right? beyond help anyway, but, you know, it's this crazy opening drum riff and the shredding going down the neck of the guitar, and then that mighty groove blasts off like a rocket until the hard stop where Dave comes in talking all kinds of jive about the first day of school and wondering what the teacher's going to look like this year. And, uh, you know, the video with the skinny white chicks running around in bikinis with the sashes on, like they're beauty pageant contestants or whatever. Uh, it was on MTV every three and a half minutes, and David Lee Roth is a cheeky, lovable scamp. So, the cover. 
I thought that they were a new band. I, thank you for filling me in, Paul. Um, they're a duo. Uh, Inara George is a multi-instrumentalist and pop singer-producer of dozens of hits, including Adele's Hello and Sia's Chandelier, uh, Greg Kristen. And um, I, I didn't even know this dude's name, Greg Kristen. Um, I mean, I know Adele's Hello. I don't, I don't know Sia's Chandelier. You know who Sia is, right? She's the chick. She wears the, this gigantic oversized wig that's like half black and half white, and it covers her face, like to her mouth. Oh, did Lady Gaga change her name? No. <laughs> this girl, you know, she has some sort of level of anxiety where she doesn't want her face to be seen. Oh, fuck's and sake. That's that's how, that, that is the ultimate millennial pop I, star. I have. I want to be seen, and I want to be heard, but I have too much anxiety to be seen and heard. I'm, I'm, I don't know. It just, <laughs> I cannot even deal with that. I don't want to be dismissive of people's things, but sometimes yeah, it's a little too... <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes it's a little bit much. But sidebar. So I was, I'm in a bunch of these women group threads on Face Place, right? And one of them, this woman says, you know, is anybody out there like me? I can't stand talking on the phone. It really upsets me. I'm full of anxiety, blah, 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 blah. I just can't do it. it every time I hear the phone ring, I get freaked out. And da, 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 da. Now, I do not understand this at all. And be advised, listeners, I'm not making fun of you. I'm not shaming you. I'm not calling you out. I am literally saying that to the depths of my soul, I don't understand this and I can't wrap my brain around it. And nobody can really give me a clear answer as to why they're riddled with anxiety with the phone, right? So I know people who, like my friend Bill Brown, when he was working at Sony in the record industry, he was on the phone all fucking day. So after five o'clock, he just didn't want to talk on the phone. Well, that's different. Okay, that's different. I, fine, I get it. Uh, one person I know can't stand the sound of their own voice. So that's why they don't want to talk on the phone. Well, did, so do they talk in the real world well, outside the but phone? But when I'm in front of this person, they talk up a blue streak. You can still hear your voice in your head no matter what you do. But that's not a good reason. Yeah, people make shit up. You know, and I'm not having an 18-hour conversation with, with my thumbs. I'm just not. Everybody who knows me, who really knows me, knows that I have a three-text rule. It's you, me, you, me, you, me, and then after that, you're fucking calling me on the phone because it's either you're giving me directions or a quick little something, but if we're going to have a conversation, we're talking on the phone. You and I talk on the phone all the time. We see right. each other all the time, and we talk on the phone like five or six nights a week about whatever. But... That's what we do because that's what we did. Well, you know, we're just uh, we're part of that old we're folk part, generation where old. you actually like engage with people in yeah. real world and, and sort real of world ways. Time. And yeah. I'm not gonna do it with my thumbs and fuck up my neck. Anyway, <sighs> <laughs> fuck up your neck. How does texting fuck up your neck? Because you know you're looking down. Oh. Huh. And then you know. Oh, you hear that? That was my neck cracking. So uh, it irritates me. But anyway. Yeah. I, I, um... Why did I do that? (laughs) There's my brain fog again. Fuck! Anyway... Oh, Sia, right. So she's too paranoid. Oh, to show right. Her that's face. right. The bird and the bee. The, yeah, uh, the, the bird the Bell, and the bee. Bell and Sebastian. Bell and Sebastian. Right. So apparently, <laughs> these two have an album coming out of Van Halen covers called "Interpreting the Masters," a tribute to Van Halen, that includes covers of "Running with the Devil," "Eruption," which I can't wait to hear. Uh, you really got me, Panama, 
etc. And it comes out August second. Anyway, clearly I was wrong. I detect no irony whatsoever. <laughs> whatsoever. I you know I just thought this is like the way that it popped up and the article that I was reading to get this information was literally posted three days ago. So I thought, oh, these are some. This is a brand new thing. I'd never heard of them before. So my immediate assumption was that they were going to be like one of those other groups who will cover anything but make it sound like a swinging, you know, twenties jazz deal. Right. Yeah, you are. They're really clever and they do it on ukulele. Ukulele, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, no, no shade to ukulele players because yeah. we, we're friends, we're <laughs> friends with the PC one. one here. She's non-shading. I, I, you know what? All Paul the shade's is, coming from me. Paul is shading all over the place. I'm shading like crazy. That's fine. Yeah. That's, make me unemployed. <laughs> fuck you, I don't care. <laughs> he doesn't care. So, uh, yeah, I'm fine with the ukulele uh, in certain situations. When I was in Hawaii, I loved it. But anyhow, so they open up their cover of this song uh, with a piano solo instead of the drums, right? And it just gets weirder from there. So you have to, Paul, I apologize that you're going to have to listen to this (laughs) to put in the music in here. But uh, you kids out there in podcast land, you really have to listen to the whole thing because you just won't believe it. You're you're just going to be sitting there gobsmacked. Um, It will... I can't even, I can't even, I can't talk. I couldn't type. I couldn't, I can't write down what happens because you have to listen to it. It would take me too long. So Beck is talking through this. And instead of David Lee, all right, instead of David Lee Roth, he's like, hello, students. I need you to open your books to page blah, blah, blah. It's very strange and makes no sense. And I literally listened to it 10 times to try and figure this fucking thing out. Um, It's interesting sort of and then they did a gender inversion so it's <laughs> all boxes checked uh, you know <laughs> it's just it's weird and then it goes l- launches into this weird freeform jazz piano thing i don't know it's very weird so who wins of course van halen wins this because this cover is too fucking strange <laughs> it and, you know, if you go back to my other episodes and listen to my criteria for what makes a good cover, theoretically, this would be an excellent cover. But it just, it's just too... I mean, I can even hear somebody banging on a kitchen sink in it. Like, it's everything that's just too fucking much. Well, it sounds like it's a bit gratuitous. It is. It is very gratu- gratuitous. I mean, I say that having not heard it. Yeah, but you but, will hear it. But that's okay. I, I'm, I have no qualms about judging shit before I hear it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm the queen of... I try everything once before I poo-poo it, because it's not fair to judge without, you know, giving somebody a chance. And But that's because I'm black, and th- that has to do with my growing up. Right. Because people judge me automatically just by taking one look at me, and it's like, you don't know anything about me, so I try to not do that to people or things. Right. Within reason. Well, I mean, I'm 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 guilty till everything's guilty till proven innocent. With me, so I'll I'll right out of the gate to say, oh yeah, whatever. Oh, but, fuck that. But man. I'll happily go. You know what? I was wrong. Actually, this is great. Yeah. Later on. Right. But you know, you have to you have to go through that little fog of oh yeah right. Uh, oh I'm sure. Oh sure. What is it? Ironic. Mm, yeah, I totally understand that. So uh, 
you know, I do want to listen to this whole album because my interest is my morbid curiosity, as you once said about Mariah Carey <laughs> <laughs> covering <laughs> Def Leppard. Um, I have that as well. So I will listen to it and I'll report back, you know, in next month. But uh, I hope that Beck is confined to just that one song because we already know that Beck is a mental patient and a uh, Scientologist. So, uh, you know... I hope the rest of it is just these two and not him. Yeah, yeah. We don't want any like Lulu shit here. Lulu, as in Metallica meets Metel- yeah. Lou Reed. Yeah. Right. Oh, jeez. Yeah, that's bad. So anyway, um, I need you to listen to both of them. Uh, you know, of course you're gonna listen to Van Halen because it's fucking awesome. But you absolutely have to get through this Bird and Bee thing because you just won't even believe it. So here they are right now. Check it out. Take your hand and push your bottom jaw back up to your mouth after hearing the bird and the bee, because that's what I had to do last night. Uh, pretty crazy there. So song number two is Hanging on the Telephone. 
Uh, the original was done by The Nerves, which is a fucking great band name. The Nerves. Yeah. I love that. Uh, in 1976, and Blondie covered it in 1978. So the original uh, was written by Jack Lee, who um, last month, one of the shows that I was in, one of those showdown shows. So he was in that show, the showdown yeah. show. You were there, right? I, I was in the show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Crystal just only when it comes to like talking about shows and <laughs> just, parties and events it's only oh, it was only she did it. Right. Um yeah, you were there. What song did you sing? I forgot. Hop a teacher. That's <laughs> No. No, I don't even fuck honestly at the moment I don't remember what the, the was, theme of the show was. It was Blondie versus Cheap Trick. Oh, I did Cheap Trick downed. Downed, okay, yeah. I did uh <sighs> TikTok. Right? Was that the one I did? I guess. I only remember my song. Not going to a party. <laughs> no. no, I, did, no. I didn't. But did you do a Cheap Trick song? I did do, yeah. I did, did a Cheap Trick song, and I wore a Blondie t-shirt, so I was, you know... Covering your bases. <clears throat> covering my bases. Um, anyway, it was pretty amazing to see this dude there singing the song, because, you know, I bought the record when I was in sixth grade and listened to it, and I was like, holy crap, here he is. And I got to talk to him, so that was kind of cool. Um, it was the opening track on their only release, an EP called One Way Ticket, which I could not find any evidence of charting anywhere, which is kind of too bad. Uh, they were a trio from California that, I guess, had virtually no success. Uh, when, I looked them up, when I looked up the song on Wikipedia, they literally had a promo photo of Blondie. <laughs> like, they didn't even have the picture of their album on it and, on Wikipedia. Yeah, there you go. Like, and it was all about Blondie covering it. It was one paragraph of hit of Jack and blah 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 blah, and then it was the rest of it was Blondie, where Blondie charted da 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 da, da everything. And that guy was indignant at the show that he was only singing one, one song because song. Right. apparently he was... he's such a big star he should get a bunch of a bunch of songs. But <laughs> he, he was pissed. That's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. The, the guy whose picture can't even be posted in, in Wikipedia. Well, I can see why he's a sourpuss, because if I looked on Wikipedia for my fucking song, I'd be mad, too, if it wasn't me on there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, kind of crazy. Um, so, uh, yeah, and listed all the charts for them, which is like a big ouch. But it's not a huge ouch for Jack, though, obviously, because according to him, by 1978, he was facing financial ruin. But one song in that EP was about to change his fortunes. I remember the day vividly, he told Mojo Magazine in 2007. It was a Friday. They were going to cut off our electricity at 6 o'clock and the phone, too. But right before disconnection, the phone rang, and it was Debbie Harry asking Lee if she could record hanging on the telephone. He agreed, and Blondie rehearsed it before con- uh, convening to the re- third album, uh, The Career Defining Parallel Lines. It was produced by Mike Chapman, who described the song as magic from the beginning. A telephone with a British ringtone was the opener, whereas the original they used an American ringtone. And by ringtone, I mean what you hear when you're calling somebody. So in England, it's doot, doot, which everybody should know from Pink Floyd, at least. And here in America, it's So they uh, switched that up a bit. Um, The song made the top five in November of 78 and subsequently has been covered by many, including Girls Aloud, who I don't know who they are, and Def Leppard. Oh, yeah, you know Def Leppard did a covers album. I don't know all the tracks on it, but, yeah, they did a cover album where they do, like... Uh, you know what? I can't even name check. But, you know, they do... I don't know if exactly... But, like, they, they do stuff like Iggy and... Oh, really? You know, I think they do a 
do they do a Duran Duran song? No, no, I'm getting things mixed up because Duran Duran did a cover album cover, as well. Oh, yeah. Um, well, that was news to me. I didn't know about that. <clears throat> uh, so Lee went on to pen Come Back and Stay for Paul Young. Regretted that his own version of Hanging on the Telephone was never a hit, but says he always knew Hanging on the Telephone was a special song. Even people who hated me, and there were plenty, had to admit it was great. He's just a... Well, okay. hey, you know, he had one good song in him. That's it. And he made money off of <laughs> it. he made money off of it. Because Blondie had a hit with it. Yeah. Um... So it opens with the American ringtone, like I said, and then Jack starts yelling into the mic. Uh, it sounds like a sped-up surf tune because of the drums and guitars, which are very Dick Dale-sounding. Not very punk-sounding to me. I mean, it was 76. They were in California. They look like a bunch of surfer dudes. Casual, like, modern-day Beach Boys-ish looking guys. Mm. They weren't punk rock like the way punk rock was here in New York or on the East Coast. I don't know. It was very, I don't know. It's a black and white photo, and they're like, you know, wearing members-only jackets, and they got long hair parted <laughs> on the side, and it's just like hanging out. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Um, it's not very punk-sounding, because he doesn't sound angry enough to me, and it's not loud enough or ass-kicking enough. It just really sounds like a sped-up surf tune. Oh, interesting. Yeah, see, I haven't heard that version. Yeah, I, I mean, I bought the record, like I said, in sixth grade. It was okay. I just it wasn't I love that song and then when Blondie covered I was like oh yeah this is fucking really great um two minutes and five seconds long so you know in the timing of it uh I guess it's it's like that so um the cover you know you've heard it everybody's heard it they use the British dial tone Debbie is sort of yelling it's played a smidge faster punky new wave beat uh, the same arrangement, just more guitars, synths, and a bunch of harmonic backing vocals. And, you know, because Debbie's singing it, it's a little sexy. And uh, they added 25 seconds to it because of the ending. Whoa! Na, 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 na. Whoa! They just, you know, until they finally went down to the end. So who wins? It's definitely Blondie. Because it's they turned it into some new wave perfection. It's just better than the original. So, uh, you know, you could, when you hear it, if you close your eyes, you can imagine her standing at the corner of First and A yelling at her soon-to-be ex-boyfriend on the payphone outside of a bodega. Like, that's the vibe I get from it. Were you a big Blondie fan? I was a, I was a casual kid Blondie fan. I mean, I think the only album I really knew as an album was Eat to the Beat. Oh, okay. Um, and then I, when, when the next album, Auto American, came out, I wanted it, but I never got it. I just never went so far as to actually get it, and then I was completely. What Headhunter was the name of the, the next one? Like I, yeah, I didn't even care by that by that album. All right, well, <clears throat> check them out. Tell me if I'm wrong about the surfer thing, but it's definitely surfer-ish deal, and Blondie kicks their ass. So here you go. I'm in the phone with this one.
we're back with song number three, which I'm very all over the place in this episode and the next one I will be too. Um, so song number three is called A Thin Line Between Love and Hate. The original was done by The Persuaders in 1971, and the cover was done by The Pretenders in 1984. Or pretenders, you know, I, I don't know how authentic you want to be with that. The poor tenders. The poor tenders. The East Enders. The mind benders. They, they were they per- <laughs> persuaded to do a cover <laughs> of the song. They were persuaded to do it. It, uh, yeah. So the original, it opens with a slow and very melancholy and staccato piano solo, and then dives right into this doo wop sounding soul groove. It's an R and B classic with the call and response vocal structure with the lead guy sounding very pained and exhausted because his woman done him wrong and he still loves her and it's killing him hence the thin line between love and hate he hates her but he loves her but he hates her but he's still in love with her but he hates her because he's still in love with her apparently so it's a really good first person account of heartbreak the chorus is straight out of the 50s the first time I heard it I thought it was a 50s song I didn't think that it was 1971 because it's just it sounds like a bunch of dudes on the corner singing doo-wop you know in philly on in 19 you know 55 or something um it's a slow burning sad sad song that's just fucking fantastic i love it it almost brings you to tears the cover is very faithful bumped up a key for chrissy's voice and they follow the arrangement very faithfully with chrissy doing her best to sound as much like douglas smoky scott sounds in the original even though this was from a second-person viewpoint. So she's kind of standing outside of it, watching it happen-ish. I thought it was a very interesting choice for a cover, but the more I thought about it and the timing of it, because it's from the album Learning to Crawl, which is not... Which is the first post-Pretenders Pretenders album. Right, yeah. It's, (laughs) It's when she got a black dude and... It was just Chrissy Hind and other other guys and other well you know Martin Chambers Martin was Chambers there, was always he was in just it the drummer but you know that's because James and Pete died so you know right. what's she gonna do and I also think maybe this was the time period where was she uh, maybe she was breaking up with Jim Kerr at this time no I think this was was this wait a well minute. I don't know she it's may have 84? been this may have been between Ray and Jim I think Jim. she was about to go with Jim with Jim, Jim yeah time. like maybe she had it with Ray but it's just the whole vibe of the album you know back on the chain gang and I can't even mention any other songs on it because it's just this is not a good album to me I'm a pretenders purist and basically all I ever want to hear is one and two yeah. and that's pretty and much there's it. a couple of good songs on those next two albums but as albums overall yeah, yeah. No, they're not so great um yeah. So, you know, Chrissy, she is good with the, you know, giving props to old school people, and she does a decent job. Um, but who wins this? It's definitely the Persuaders. Here from New York City, New York City's own Persuaders. Hands down, they just kill it. And I dare you to not get all for glimped when you hear that song, because it's just like, oh my god, this guy is miserable. Um, And it also gets extra points because the B-side on the 45 is called Thigh Spy. (laughs) And I've never heard it. (laughs) I want to listen to it now, but it's like, Thigh Spy? Is this another one of those songs that Prince wrote for another artist? (laughs) Yeah, it it sounds exactly like a Prince song. So, um, you know, prepare yourself to be a little sad, but check them both out because they're both really good, but... The Persuaders totally kick ass here, so here they are. Mm-hmm. 
song from the 80s. Uh, It's called Slow Hand. And so when I Google this to get some info on it, (laughs) I took a screenshot of it. The first picture that pops up is, guess who? Eric Eric Clapton. Clapton. (laughs) And I thought, wow, if I typed in God, would he show up too? You know what I mean? Like, okay, we all know like that's his nickname or whatever the fuck, but really, that's the first picture that pops up on Wikipedia is Eric Clapton. So I had a little giggle about that. Uh, because the song that I was looking up was done by the Pointer Sisters in 1981. And the cover version was done by none other than Conway Twitty in 1982. Are you familiar with Conway Twitty? I know who Conway Twitty is, but I'm afraid... Uh my Conway Twitty collection is sorely lacking. <laughs> it's really sparse. It's, it's really sparse. Because it's absolutely non-existent. Is, yeah. Yeah. Um, I like Conway Twitty. He, he's, he's a good singer. And uh, my mom and I saw him in concert once, and he put on a really good show. I dug yeah. him. Yeah. My, my, my Aunt Vivian went through a little country phase, well, be, for the same reason everyone else did, 
urban cowboy, cowboy. But I remember she decided <laughs> she liked uh, Conway Twitty, and she was telling me all about Twitty City and Twitty all that City, shit. Twitty City, yeah. yeah. Twitty City. That's and I'm just sitting there doing what, what I do, going, ah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? Yeah, because if Dolly could have Dollywood, he could have Twitty City. That's I never went to Twitty City. I'll have to get on that. Uh, anyway, the original, despite this song sounding like or having the same groove as the Pointer Sisters' number two hit called Fire back in 1978... It was not written for them, the song. Uh, but producer Richard Perry knew that it would be a hit for them because of how similar it was to Fire. You know that song. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think everybody is familiar with Robin Williams when he sang it as Elmer Fudd in one of his comedy <laughs> routines. Yeah. I'm widening my core. Yeah. Um, so it was, uh, and he, well, this guy Richard Perry was right. It even got them on the UK singles chart for the first time, as well as Australia, France, Ireland, the Netherlands, New Zealand, and South Africa. It is a slow, sexy song that was fronted by Anita Pointer. It has a fabulous country feel. You might not get that initially, but the more you listen to it, I always thought it should have been on the country charts because. To me, it sounded like a country song. But it was 1981 and a bit too adult contemporary and R&B for the olden days. And they're not going to let some black chicks on a country chart back in 1981. Um, It's a little cheeky with the sexy talk, because the one famous line that my mom really loved was, uh, if I want it all night, he says it's all right, which is dirty. It's a bona fide mid-tempo jam, because it's not a slow jam. I don't think it ever made it to a quiet storm. I don't think it was quiet enough for a quiet storm. But it's a good song, and, uh, you know, I think most people remember it. The cover by Conway Twitty. He did a really good job with this. He changed the lyrics, so it was coming from a straight cisgendered man, hetero man, who was a country singer. He basically made it about himself. Um, But it was very sterile sounding at the same time. Because he wasn't, to me, he wasn't putting a lot of feel into it, mm-hmm. even though he's supposed to be sang, sang into some hot chick. But he's just, I don't know. You know how sometimes you get the vibe where people are singing and they, it sounds like they're actually, if it's a love song, like they're looking at the person they're singing about or they're really thinking about the person who they love? Like Tom Jones would. Like Tom Jones would, exactly. I wasn't getting that with Conway, with Conway Twitty. He was just singing words. He was just singing words. And it was a little robotic, a little too perfect, um, a little down-tempo from the Pointer Sisters version, and the backing vocals, it was just like your standard, you know, like three chicks sounding kind of robotic. I don't know. Um, the winner is obviously the Pointer Sisters, hands down, because I dig Conway Twitty, but it was not good enough to beat them. So that's how I feel about it. Check it out. As the midnight moon was drifting through the lazy sway of the trees, I saw the look in your eyes looking into mine, seeing what you wanted to see. Darling, don't say a word, cause I already heard what your body's saying to mine. Slow 
with no one around and a blanket of stars in our eyes. Hey, we're drifting free like two lost leaves on the crazy wind of the night. You got somebody who will spend some time Not come and go in a heated rush Baby, believe me, I understand When it comes to love, you want a slow hand You want a lover with an easy touch You got somebody who will spend some time with you, baby Not come and go Okay, now we are legitimately doing it. Now we're legit. <laughs> we're too <laughs> legit. <laughs> we're too legit to quit. Hey, hey. Yeah, like like Masica- Is it Masakela who had the album Boys doing it? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, Boys the boys doing, doing it. it. <laughs> you know, it was like a pile of guys, and you know, I was like, <laughs> right. remember that album? <laughs> oh my God, that's a blast from the past. <clears throat> okay, so here we are with song number five, and it is called. Hey Ya. Hey Ya. Uh, originally done by Outkast in 2003, really Andre 3000. Uh, and the cover was done by Super Suckers in 2004. Ironically. <laughs> Ironically. <laughs> I wish you guys could have seen Paul's eyes just then when I said Super Suckers. So, uh, <laughs> I actually have a DJ gig where they're playing at soon. So um, they will be sucking at a super level. Uh, right before you? Right, right before you all very <laughs> I will. Okay, so when this airs, the show will probably be over. Um, but I, Super Suckers, I never listened to them. I, I haven't either. I'm just, when I'm, they I'm were. just oh, I know. shit without even knowing, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but I virtually know nothing about them. I don't, I can't name one record. I know, I, I don't know anything about them. Well, I I suspect they're from the '90s because I think that's the that's the rule. Yes. If you're from the '90s, your name has to be Super Something. Something. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and uh, I or mean, it's or it's an album, Super Some Super Unknown. You know, yeah, yeah. it's Super's in there somewhere. Uh, yeah. So the original song, everybody should remember. This was a big deal. So it was Outcast, but Andre 3000 and. Um, What's the other dude's name? Big Boy. Thank you, Big Boy, B-O-I. Uh, they did two al- two separate albums. So it was a double album, but they each did their own thing and squashed it together, and it came out as a double album. It's like it's like if the four Kiss albums came out as a box set of one album. Exactly. And they were both really good in their own way, and you really got to see the distinct personalities between the two. And then... If you were a fan of theirs prior to this, you could understand how their previous albums were made. Like you could understand how they worked together. Yeah, like Big Boy's the the more legitimately hip hop one of the two. Like Andre Three Thousand isn't really that hip hop on his own. Yeah, and Big Boy is a huge Kate Bush fan. Did you know that? Yep. 
Yes. Um, uh, yeah, it's right. I was watching. Uh, yeah, I was watching a doc on her on YouTube, and, he and they were like, interviewing him, where he was just like, "Oh my God, God yeah, Kate yeah. Bush, yeah, <laughs> yeah." Because when I found that out, and I told people, I was like, "Do you know he's a Kate Bush fan?" And these are hardcore hip hop people. I'm like, "Who the fuck is Kate Bush?" And I was like, "Oh, forget it." <laughs> so uh, this is a very kooky song done by Andre 3000, who's very kooky. It's a snappy peppy jumping bean of a song that is about a dude who just wants to fuck a girl. Um, one lyric says, I don't want to meet your mama. I just want to make you come. I, I, I'm just being honest, which, you know, that's kind of what you want. Well, at least I do. You just want to get laid. Then tell me. We can cut out all the bullshit. Yeah. I, I can tell you no, if it's no. I can tell Yeah. You know, just stop literally beating around the bush and tell me what is going on. <laughs> um, it has a lot of blips and blorps and squonky synths and a snap-cracking drum beat, hand claps, a chorus that ruled the solar system for five years. This is one of these fucking songs where, like the Macarena, you know, six-year-old kids can sing it and 96-year-old people sing it and dance to it. It was played at every wedding reception, every party, every karaoke bar had it, you just could not it was on the radio every five fucking seconds it was on MTV all the time because the video was kind of goofy and cool and um you know everybody was bippity bopping around and in 2003 it was fun and cute it had a call and response with the lady you know hey fellas yeah hey ladies yeah and then um it also name checked Beyonce and Lucy Liu oh yeah like all you all you Beyonce's and Lucy Lou's you know, blah, 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 blah. I said something after that. And then the phrase of the year was shake it like a Polaroid oh, picture. Yes. Shake it, shake, come on, shake it, shake, shake, shake it like a Polaroid picture. Everybody, you know, everybody, everybody knew this fucking song and it, after a while it worked your nerves. Because <laughs> <laughs> it just, like the Macarena, how could it not work your nerves after I... hearing it 10,000 times or the chicken dance or the electric slide or... You know, I mean, I'm sorry, Andre, I don't want to put you in the same bucket as those songs, but, you know, it's just one of those fucking songs. Well, it was a great song until it got overplayed. Yeah. Yeah, I like the song, and, you know, I listened to it for a couple times last night for the first time since 2004, maybe, I guess. <clears throat> but believe it or not, I had that album on vinyl. I'm sorry, what? I had that Outcast album on vinyl. Really? Double LP, yeah. You. I made and still have it. Wow. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it. <laughs> There's proof. Wow. All right. See, I never would have pegged you for that. I mean, yeah, that's not one I would have put on your list for sure. Um, so, so when I do my top 20 albums of 2003... Three, I'll know this will be on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah it'll be a- I'll know at least one. Um, you Would you ever do a top 10 list of 2003? No, because my top 10 of 2003 would be one album. Outcast. <laughs> That's it. So for people who don't know, uh, and you should know, Paul does his own amazing podcast called As It Should Be, where he does his top 10 albums of a particular, or 20, sorry. Is it 20 or, or however many I can However do. many you can well, squeeze out. It's 20 generally, but when I get to years where it gets a little rough. <laughs> rough for you, you squeeze out 10. Yeah, when it gets to the mid-80s, that's that's when it's kind of like, it's okay, hard for Paul. let's see if we can squeeze out 10. Yes, and everybody knows why that's hard for Paul. 
Um, but you should be listening to it because it's great. So I can't even. Yeah, two thousand three. All right, here we go, everybody. Two thousand three. One record. All right. Good night. Um, it's more, more like my top ten songs from the one from album the I one like. Album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes more sense. Um, <clears throat> all right. So the cover of this by Super Suckers or the Super Suckers. I don't know which. I'll ask them when I do this gig. What do you prefer? Uh, <clears throat> the Super Suckers or just Super Suckers? I don't know. Tell me. Uh, they follow the arrangement perfectly, except this is multi-guitar driven. They do the blips and blorps on a guitar instead of a synth. So this is essentially a rock version of the song, or really a pop rock version. See, I don't even know Super Suckers enough to say if they were a straight-ahead rock band or a pop rock band, so now I have homework to do, I guess. Um... It's it for some reason when you listen to it, it sounds the mix sounds very low. It sounds like the microphones weren't working well, or I, I want it to be louder, but it just sounds low. I uh, can't explain why. Might be one of those sort of uh, intentional lo-fi tricks. Yeah, like it sounds like not quite that it's coming off of a cassette tape, but the the whole thing just sounds low and no matter how loud you turn it up it still sounds low right well it's like that sort of thing it's that sort of uh, uh, um, sensibility where like, like Phil our buddy Phil from Tragedy Tragedy he told me he knew somebody who would work in the studio with PJ Harvey and he said oh she would spend an entire day trying to find the exact mic that would make her voice sound as lo-fi and fucked up as possible you know oh really on purpose you know oh that's interesting so it's I think it's that kind of it's probably that kind of a thing you know because uh, well, I mean surely they can record clean now yeah yeah you know I mean this was 2004 yeah so it wasn't like the 90s or something like that yeah um anyway they, they do a, they do a good a decent job um I appreciate their effort but they can't beat Andre 3000 period you just can't i don't care what you say it's not yeah so you know all right super suckers the super suckers you're okay but andre you win hands down and you will hear what i'm talking about right now one two three uh. my baby don't mess around because she loves me so and this i know for sure
Jerry Nolan. Actually, I don't think his name is Roland Bolin. Is it is it? not. It's Roland Orzabal. Is that who you're talking about? No, uh, no, uh, Mark Bolin's son, Roland. Oh, Roland. But oh. his last name isn't Bolin. I don't. Or is it that what it is? Does he. Or maybe it's his first name that he. I, whatever. I always thought he had a son whose name was Roland Bolin, but then I saw somebody. I have some friend, Facebook friend who knows. It was like probably Tony Mann or somebody knows him, and his name was different than that. I don't remember what oh, it was. Oh, really? Kind of like, uh, what David David Bowie uh, oh Zoe Bowie Zoe Bowie yeah uh, which we all know was phony um, <clears throat> alright and speaking of David Bowie here is my last song of this episode song number six it's called The Man Who Sold the World that little weird that's my fan you're hearing people because it's hot in here we can't have the AC on because it's too distracting um, so the original was done by David Bowie in 1970 and the cover by Nirvana in 1994, which everybody should know, especially you just should know it. Well, honestly, I think more people probably would know the cover in this case. Uh, yeah, pro- at this point, probably. So the original, for those of you kids out there who don't know anything about music history, uh, it was the title track of David Bowie's third album with the same name. It opens up with a Middle Eastern-style guitar lick. And then settles into a Latin tempo that would be great for dancing the tango, I think. A little sped up. Um, Loud percussion, multi-track vocals, all him with a flange going on there, I think. Uh, A loud B3 in there. And the guitar riff in the chorus is infamous slash famous because it basically does a scale up and down the neck. Everybody knows that. Um, it's a really interesting song. The lyrics are, you know, David Bowie, where he's talking about himself, his inside self, his outside self, seeing himself. You know, it's like reading about it. It's, there's poetry cited. There's three different sources or whatever. But, you know, it's David Bowie. He did kooky stuff. Fucking freak. <laughs> fucking, fucking wonky-eyed lunatic. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Orange mulleted, orange mulleted, jackass. Uh, the lyrics you can almost figure out, but not quite. To me, it's it's a nice puzzle. You're trying to listen to the lyrics, but musically, there's so much going on. You really have to, you know, block one out to really get the other. I don't know. You know, especially listening to it as a kid. I mean, what? I was really. It came out in '70. I didn't start listening to it, you know, like, until I was 10 or 11, because my cousin Gene turned me on to it, and, you know, that's 75, so it's just like, what is happening here? Um, and the band, of course, Tony Visconti, Mick, and Woody Woodmansey, um, fantastic. Can't go wrong with those dudes. 
Now, the cover, as Paul just said, probably more people know the cover than the original. Um, everybody and their mama remembers the Nirvana Unplugged, where they played this, and stunned Bowie fans all over the planet Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I know, speaking for myself, I literally fell off my couch because I was not expecting this to happen at all. And I don't remember if they did... Did they do the Lead Belly cover after this or before it in the show? I don't remember. Oh, I don't know. I never. I didn't even watch it. Say what? I mean, I've seen that clip because it was a standalone clip on MTV, but I never sat and watched the whole that thing. whole thing. Oh. No. <clears throat> well, they did a couple of covers in it, in this, besides this when they did Lead Belly, um, you know, uh, Where Did You Sleep Last Night? That kind of... I forget what the name of that song is. Anyway, I literally fell off my couch because I was not expecting it, and it was like, what? You know, what the hell are they doing? And then I distinctly remember hearing one dude in the audience yell out, woo, (laughs) immediately after the second line. So apparently he was the only David Bowie fan in the audience there at Sony where they recorded it. Um, And, of course, everybody thought that Nirvana wrote the song. Right. Right. And now everybody in that audience who was silent is a Bowie fan. Is a Bowie fan. Now they are. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully they are. Um, so when I was researching this, Bowie said of Nirvana's cover, I was simply blown away when I found out that Kurt Cobain liked my work and have always wanted to talk to him about his reasons for covering The Man Who Sold the World and that it was a good straightforward rendition and sounded somehow very honest. It would have been nice to have worked with him, but just talking with him would have been real cool. Which I'm like, wow, David Bowie. All right. Yeah. That's, that's nice. Um, Bowie called Nirvana's cover heartfelt, noting that until this cover, it hadn't occurred to me that I was a part of America's musical landscape. I always felt my weight in Europe, but not in the U.S. Interesting. And I thought, really? By 2000 and... What was it? By, oh, by 1994, you, you, David Bowie, didn't think that you, that you were big in America? Well, I think what happened with Bowie is that he went through two distinct periods, periods. of being um, uh, a commercial kind of success, which would have been the mid-70s and then in the, the mid-80s. Right. But both of those periods had gone. And by the time ni- the early 90s came around, Bowie was kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, has been-ish. In that regard, like his, yeah. new, he was putting out new albums, but they weren't hits. Hits, no. And Tin you know, Machine, yeah, and playing with the what's his Soupy Sales' his kids, Hunt and whatever. Yeah, what's I mean, he was name? only staying afloat in the U.S. kind of on his laurels, really. Right, and then he did. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, the or the way it would appear. I mean, certainly to anyone on the street, you're like, oh shit, David Bowie. Right. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, and that must have been how it felt to him. Because you know how it is when you're actually the person, it just feels different. Right, yeah. That just kind of surprised me. Um, In the wake of its release, Bowie bemoaned the fact that when he performed the number himself, he would encounter, quote, kids that came up afterwards and say, it's cool you're doing a Nirvana song, (laughs) and I think, fuck (laughs) you, you little tosser. (laughs) I love that. Which, inevitably, of course that was going to happen. Right. So it's fucking pain in the ass, kids. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the cover, it faithfully followed the original to the letter, uh, but they added strings, because they had a little string quartet, at least. A violin, a cello, something else. I think at least three or four strings. And um, it filled it out nicely. And, of course, Kurt sounded miserable. And they had... <laughs> Suitably so. Suitably miserable. 
um, and looked like shit. And uh, I guess Pat Smear was with them for this thing. Yeah. And uh, was he the only extra person? Was there somebody else? Uh, no, I think... I don't, I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, all you Nirvana fans, yeah. sound off. <laughs> Let me know. I, I mean, I know that Pat Smear was definitely in it, but I, I feel like maybe there was somebody else playing. But anyway, um, David Bowie wins. Oh, the dude from Foo Fighters was in it. Oh! Yeah, yeah, Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl, right. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah, I think they had him on as a guest. They had him on guest drumming. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, or but maybe his... Maybe it was his uh, non-twin brother was there. Like the inverse of Dave Grohl, the blonde one who looks exactly like him, who was in Foo Fighters. What's that dude's name? Oh. He plays the drums in Foo Fighters. Yeah, I don't remember his name. They could be brothers on a TV show. Like, they literally almost look exactly like each other. <laughs> Except Dave has long brown hair, and that guy has short bleach blonde hair. But, like, they have the same teeth. Oh, right, they, they the big, the kind of big horse teeth. Big thing. horse teeth with the goatee around it, yeah. Anyway, so David Bowie wins. Hello, you know, come to your senses, people. We passed up on the stairs We spoke of was and when Although I wasn't there He said I was his friend Which gave us some surprise I spoke into his eyes I thought you died alone A long, long time ago I don't hate I love Nirvana everybody knows I love Nirvana because you any chance I get I'll sing Heart Shaped Box anywhere anytime I love that album um initially I was not into them I was working at TLA Video in Philadelphia 
and Bleach had already been out, and uh, my friend Kathy loved that record, and we had a four, like a five CD changer in the store, and so everybody would you know one CD everybody could put one CD in it, and to counteract Nirvana, I would play songs in the key of life every day because I did not like Bleach. I thought they sucked. I was like, who is this band? They're terrible. It's this horrible noise. They're just like screaming and yelling and all this feedback and shit. Them and uh, what was it? somebody else would play Sonic Youth. Oh my god. Yeah, you know what? Sonic Youth is a scam. <laughs> I just don't. Why are they popular? Why do people like them? Because Can they think anybody? it makes them seem arty and weird. Because, I mean, really, the music, the songs are not good. The two best things they ever did, which. I will get to in this show were two covers to me. What what were the covers? The covers were Superstar. Oh yeah, God, that's terrible too. By the Carpenters, it's awful. And uh, Madonna, Get Into the Groove. Oh, right, right. So, you know, stay tuned for those folks. <laughs> because they, I have to have them, because they're just ridiculous. But beyond that, it's, uh, what was the album with the washing machine on the cover? Everybody loved it. I think it was called Washing Machine. Was it called Washing Machine? <clears throat> I think. If I'm, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. My, my friend Sean was a huge Sonic Youth fan. They were like his favorite band. Band. And, uh, yeah, he was sort of my guiding light through the current uh, 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 music landscape in the early 90s, because he was the one who liked all those new bands. Bands, oh. And, you know, I was, of course, stuck in the 60s and 70s, so it was because of him... Because of him that I knew you about Nirvana and, and Sonic Youth and all that shit. All that stuff, yeah. Because the only other band, and of course, excuse me, their first album sucked too, who I wound up loving, is um, Hole. Everybody knows me, you know that I love Hole. But I only love Live Through This. And, you know, the hit song off of uh, the one uh, that uh, her then-boyfriend produced. Uh, what's his face from Smashing Pumpkins? Oh, what's this miserable? I, I like this. I like not being able to remember his name. <laughs> no, there's, I have to look it up. There's something satisfying about Ga- that. Oh, Billy Corgan. Oh, Boom. that's Billy fucker. Corgan. Yeah. Um, what was the name of that album? Uh, it was. Uh, I can't write an album for myself. Oh. <laughs> oh, come on. No, it was. Um, God damn it. Celebrity Skin. Oh, Boom. Celebrity Skin. Celebrity okay. Skin. Maybe the one I'm thinking of was later. So if you're not familiar with Hole, just listen to Live Through This, and that's all you need to know. Um, I was taking some metalsmithing classes then, and all I listened to in the metal studio was that and Songs in the Key of... Oh, no, that and Madonna's Bedtime Stories. I would literally play them back-to-back over and over and over again for, like, ten hours. I love those two records. You can have them. <laughs> you can like have them. A big head, head shake no on that. Um, Madonna's Bedtime Stories, sidebar, is one of the best hip-hop albums ever. And nobody knows that because Madonna, meh. And, you know, everybody knows, ooh, something's coming over. Everybody knows Secret. But nobody listened to the rest of the album. Well, you don't know it. I don't know it. Yeah, no, I'm... I'm but nobody listened to the rest of the record but it was she had the top hip hop producers at the time and it's just it's killer it's so fucking good you Madonna naysayers and you hip hop naysayers just listen to it and I guarantee it'll win you over that's what I have to say so that's my last song for this episode 
Um, yeah, that's six songs. And uh, that's it for this, number six. So I hope you enjoyed it all. Thank you, Paul. We'll record the next episode right after this. Uh, happy motoring, everybody, and thank you. Hello, Paul. How are you today? Is it going to be all right? No, but we're going to pretend it is. <laughs> we're going to pretend. We're going to pretend it's all right. How you doing, everybody? 